In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes cost much more than dollars, we bring you expertise from around the world to ensure that everyone goes home safe every day. The internationally acclaimed Oil & Gas HSE podcast starts now with your host, Russell Stewart. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to another episode of Oil & Gas HSE, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. And thanks to the show's sponsor today, Technip FMC. Technip FMC is a leading technology provider to the traditional and new energy industries, delivering fully integrated projects, products, and services with their proprietary technologies and comprehensive solutions. Technip FMC is helping their clients to support their energy transition ambitions by developing new energy resources and reducing carbon intensity. Tell them thank you for sponsoring the show by going to their website at technapefmc.com. Check out their iComplete system that optimizes fracking operations with 30% lower costs and also see how their trademarked emission can give operators and producers real-time monitoring and control to reduce flaring while increasing production. Technape FMC, the future of the energy industry. Today, I'm happy to welcome a returning guest from last year, George, the safety guy. Uh, George, thanks for coming on the show today again. All right, Russell. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure to be on the show again. Well, we're going to have hopefully a little bit of fun and also some very good education, the merging of entertainment and enlightenment, I call it. And so for the entertainment part, I guess we'll <laughs> do the same thing we did last year. We'll play sure. with my Texas accent, trying to pronounce your last name. So, <laughs> so George, what is your last name? All right. My last name is Onwa Guluchi. That's Onwa, Gulu, and Chi. So it's quite simple. Nothing to it, just Onwa Guluchi. Okay. Well, it's not simple for this Texas boy here, I can tell you. So, George, tell us again. And of course, <laughs> I've got my Texas accent, but you got a little bit of an accent too. So, where are you? All right. I'm in Nigeria, Lagos presently, and I work with Habram's Energy Services. It's an oil and gas servicing company. We're into engineering, procurement, construction, maintenance, and inspection. And I'm the HSC coordinator. I work with some top oil and gas multinational companies like Shell, ExxonMobil, and Chevron, where I ensure that my workers who are there on their facilities working work safe and also get back home safely to their families. Well, there you go. And that's specifically what we're going to talk about today. And you mentioned some heavy hitters there that you're associated with, which just, again, illustrates the fact we have top-notch people who come on this program. And speaking of that, before we get into actually the topic I wanted to talk about, George, as complicated as your name is to spell and to say, you got more letters behind that name <laughs> than you do in your own name. So what is all this? How many certifications are, do you have here? All right. I see Nibosh. I see ISO 9001, 45001, 14001. I've also got some OSHA certification in oil and gas construction and the general health and safety. I'm a continuous learner. I enjoy learning. It's health and safety we are talking about here, and it's fun. It's a fun career. It's an interesting career. You get to meet people. You get to interact with people. You get to use your skills 
from psychology, you get to use your skills from engineering, you get to use the skills from law, all skills whilst working as a HSC professional or person. Well, you're certainly passionate about it, which is one of the things I appreciate and one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. But the other thing is you post from time to time on LinkedIn. You must have a pretty good reputation in the HSE industry <laughs> and not just oil field, because when you post, you get a lot of likes and you get a lot of comments. I'm really impressed. In fact, it almost hurts my feelings. I don't get quite that much love when I post on LinkedIn. <laughs> I think I just, it's about posting what people can relate with. However, they can relate with it at the same time. It makes people ask themselves certain questions. Like it makes people sit back and then do a bit of reflection. So I would say probably that's why I get that much likes and that much engagement on my posts. Okay. So let's talk about the latest one. And so here's what you said. You said incidents are not good. However, incidents are what yeah. reminds the safety professional of his or her responsibility in the present. Yeah. All right. Before I start, I want to ask you what you think, Russell, about that comment. What goes through your mind when you read that? Well, actually, what spurred my thinking on it was actually some of the comments that you did get on it. One of the, of course, the thing that hit me, and you already mentioned it, and I said we were going to talk about it again. It's the theme of this show. But one of the comments that you got was, thanks for sharing. That is one of the major motivations of a safety professional, everyone going back home safely. And so someone else said, what reminds me of my job or responsibility as a safety professional is seeing employees come out from the worker's bus in the morning and asking myself, can everyone go back home safely? The answer is my calling as a safety mm. professional. When I read those comments, I thought, yeah, I think that's one of the things he's trying to say. I'm going to let you comment on it. There was actually another comment on there you got a little pushback on. So we'll talk about that here in just a second. <laughs> All right. I would want to say the post itself is a double-edged sword. It cuts both ways. Some people actually, they didn't post, but I got to meet them physically and they were like, ah, your post sounds like a reactive measure to safety. Would you have to wait before there is an incident before you are reminded of your responsibility as a safety professional? And some others too quite agree that, oh, I think it's proactive. When you think incident, then you do all you can to mitigate, do all you can to control the risk, you do all you can to ensure that workers are home to their family. All the comments there, like people want workers to go home, people do not want people getting injured at work, people are trying to just feel the value that they are adding to the company and also to the staff by ensuring that everyone goes home to their loved ones. But beneath, there's an undertone to that. Why? Why do we do this? Why are you doing this as a health and safety professional? If you can dig deep, you see some people, really, it's about compliance. We do not want any compensation claims. We do not want any fine. We do not want any issues with the regulators. If people could, would I say, just admit the fact. I won't say it's the truth because it's subjective. Like I said before, it's a double-edged sword. It's either reactive or it's either uh, proactive. But if people come to admit the fact that really actually doing what I'm doing because of that word, incidents, when it pops up in your mind, when you see people go into confined spaces, when you see people walk at heights, 
aside trying to ensure them going back home to their loved ones, you're trying your best to avoid any form of incident. And if there is no incident, then they'll be going back to their loved ones in peace and the company would be avoiding a lot. And then if you tell me a reactive approach that, oh, there will have to be an incident before you get things done properly, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You say it's a reactive approach. You're not wrong because we've learned from major incidents. For example, we've learned from the Halifax explosion of 1917. We've learned from even the Titanic of 1912. We've then learned from Deep Horizon of 2010. And that's why people would do putting necessary controls like putting corrective measures and then go ahead to review those corrective mm-hmm. actions they've put in place for its effectiveness. People go on to evaluate performance after an incident and maybe after putting in control measures mm-hmm. and to see how effective those control measures are. And then after an incident, you see like an enhanced management commitment. And then you see that is when people get to start reviewing their procedures. You see that is when people get to start reviewing their plans and their programs after an incident and then even learning from incidents that have occurred before people are like even taking proactive steps the incidents may not have happened in their facility the incident would have happened in a similar industry to theirs and then they want to avoid that they want to prevent that in their workplace and then they begin to take proactive steps to ensure that such incidents do not occur and then when it comes to incident prevention when you think of that quote, you would be reinforced. You would be instilled to take the necessary proactive steps to prevent incidents from occurring. And then one of those proactive steps one may likely take would be checking their lessons learned register or their lessons learned log from previous projects, checking their risk registers from previous projects and how the risks and the hazards identified relates to present projects. And then you'd want to put in safe systems of work. You would always check your safe systems of work. You would always evaluate your safe systems of work to ensure that they are effective and that they fit into the specific situation that you're trying to prevent or you are trying to handle at that point in time. And then If you look critically at that post, that incident reminds you as a safety professional of your responsibility in the present, you would begin to go beyond performance and you begin to think beyond performance matrices and uh, performance statistics. You would want to build in the safety wheel in your workforce in such a way that they even take safety home to their loved ones. Hello, Russell. Yeah, I want to jump in right there. That's the perfect segue to where I wanted to jump in here, because I want to go back to what you were talking about. Some people objected. They thought you were given a reactive argument or they didn't quite understand what you were actually trying to say. And, And one person in particular said something to the effect that what really reminds the safety professional of his or her duty is the understanding of occupational health and safety management systems. And now listen to this and ensuring that every individual complies with organizational legislation before any interruption of accident. And I immediately picked up on that term organizational legislation. And then as I kept reading through the comments, 
Someone else commented and said, what reminds me of my responsibilities as a health and safety professional is when workers themselves tell me how impactful certain specific trainings have helped them work safely and how learning about safety has helped them manage domestic risks at home. And your response was, that's a good one. When workers get to apply their safety trainings, even at home, it goes to show that your workers are beginning to make safety a lifestyle. And to me, the contrast, and I think this is what you were trying to get to, there's a contrast between organizational legislation and making safety a lifestyle, and the latter is a much more effective way to approach it, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, 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 sure, sure. I would agree with you, like making safety. If safety becomes a lifestyle, that means safety is a value. Safety becomes your value, and values are what we live by. But for organizational legislation, and I think that's what most people actually do when it comes to safety. They are in safety for compliance and not really for the commitment. Exactly. Yeah, they are in safety for compliance. We don't want to pay fines. We want to just obey and just comply to certain standards, comply to certain regulations. But even with compliance, we are still having incidents on site. Even with compliance, oh, you're proactive with your safety steps, you're still having incidents. Like, you can't tell how effective your plans or your programs are until they are tested. And because of you, even dealing with human beings, we are very unpredictable and we are predisposed to error. So that alone, like complying to organization legislation, I wouldn't quite agree with that. It's good to comply, but you do not want to stop at compliance. You want to drive safety to commitment. And that's why I said this. So if you really want to prevent incidents, then you should look beyond performance metrics. Like how many LTIs do we have? How many numbers of recordables? I think people look into that and then are happy. And then people look into regulatory audits, they pass the audits and they are happy and they think they are doing fine. Sure, you're doing fine with all due respect, you're complying, you're passing your audits, but you want people to be committed and then you have to go beyond financial matrices or performance matrices into social matrices, people's well-being. You have to look into collaborating with people if you really want to prevent incidents. So I'm not saying this is the perfect way or this is the way to go, but I call this the four C's. If you really want to be proactive and then if you really want to drive safety and make it a commitment in your organization. And then if you really want to proactively answer the call to incident prevention, I call this the four C. I call it you need to collaborate more. You need to collaborate more with your staffs at work as a health and safety professional. When I say collaborate, collaborate more, you need to work together by making tools available, collaborative tools available, especially in terms of a lot of people have been through a lot. I would say the world is just recovering from COVID. People lost their jobs. People have been confined for too long and then it's impactful on workers' mental state. And then you you need to come up with tools that could show collaboration, like flexible working hours, depending on your industry, organizing like an away day, like you, the team, you can organize a time to just go out, hang out, maybe probably see a movie, probably go to dinner together, and then being present 
your team, like collaborating with them would need to feel your presence. And then the second C is communication. Communicate, communicate, communicate. You would need to provide avenues where people can speak out. People can speak up. You know there are cases in the workplace where when you speak up for identifying a hazard or a risk, you're either penalized or you're either called bluff. And that won't really encourage my statement of Hey, George, that's great. That was worth the price of admission here today. I really appreciate your own commitment to this safety culture. And again, I thank you for coming on the show. Thanks to everyone for listening. Please tell your friends to listen. Post us on LinkedIn and your other social media. We'll definitely post George's LinkedIn URL in our show notes. Please leave us a review on iTunes or Spotify or whatever podcast platform you listen to. And please tune in again next week for another episode of Oil and Gas HSE, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Tune in next week for another engaging episode of the Oil and Gas HSE podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.